Welcome to episode two of Inspiring Psychologists Breaking the Mold of Private Practice. I'm your host, Wendy Kendall, a psychologist and private practice coach. Today's episode is all about courageously forging your unique path in private practice. In this episode, we had the pleasure of speaking with three amazing clinical psychologists, Dr. Romy Sherlock, Dr. Natalie Bodart, and Dr. Tina Mystery. They each shared their inspiring stories of leaving their public sector roles to create private practices that defy the norm and focus on more than one-to-one services. We discussed how their individual passions, values and stories drove them to break free from convention and create practices that truly reflect their identities. We also explored the challenges of breaking the mould in psychology, from the fear of stigma to the courage it takes to lead our practices in innovative ways. By challenging norms, we enable our profession to evolve and adapt, ultimately providing better care for our clients. Finally, we delved into our guests' hopes for the future of their practices as they continue to grow, develop, inspire, and have a lasting impact. So if you're ready to learn from these groundbreaking psychologists and consider what might be holding you back from offering services that challenge systems or norms, this episode is for you. After listening to this episode, we invite you to join the conversation in our Inspiring Psychology Practices Facebook group, connect with us on LinkedIn, or visit our website at inspiringpsych.com. That's inspiring, P-S-Y-C-H dot com. Let's break out of the box together and create a new narrative for private practice in psychology. Hello and welcome to episode two of the Inspiring Psychologists podcast, where we are talking with inspiring psychologists who are breaking the mold of private practice. And today we have a very exciting um, discussion with three psychologists that um, I've known for a few years now, who I know have been forging ahead and really breaking the mold of what traditional private practice models look like. And so we'll be joined shortly by uh, Dr. Tina Mystery, uh, Dr. Romy Sherlock, and also Dr. Natalie Bodart. And the title of today's podcast is... Breaking Free from the Box, Courageously Forging Your Unique Path in Private Practice. So welcome all of you to this discussion. I'm really looking forward to it. Hi, Romy. Hi, Hi. Natalie. Hi, hello. Tina. Hello, hello. Ah, it's so great to see you all. Oh, you too, Wendy. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Pleasure, pleasure. So I guess first things first, first, which is really getting to know you a little bit as practitioners. And I just wondered if you might uh, be happy to introduce yourselves and say a little bit about where you're at now in terms of your private practices. So I've got Romy right next to me on the screen. So I wonder if you might uh, be happy to start, Romy. Yeah, sure. Um, So I'm a clinical psychologist and I specialise in working with people with persistent or chronic pain. 
Um, and I'm now um, co-director of a company called Retraining Pain, and we offer multidisciplinary pain rehab uh, nationwide to people who have persistent pain problems. So that's um, sort of psychologically informed physiotherapy, occupational therapy, and obviously uh, psychology input too for people with long-term pain. Yeah, and I think I remember when you and I first met, it might have been 2018 or even early 2019. And Mm -hmm. if I remember rightly, you were running a like a traditional private practice with, did you have some colleagues involved in that as well? Yeah, just just one of the psychologists. Yeah, right. and, and and doing NHS work as well in exactly. in pain. So it's mostly, um, yeah. yeah, mostly NHS or maybe half and half. I can't remember at that point. Right, right. Um, and of course, at that yeah. timing, and you know, in the green room earlier, we were just swapping notes about the fact that the pandemic was coming up at that point. So, and I, I think for all of you. And that probably has kind of figured in how, you know, how much courage you've had to kind of bring into your private practice. Thanks, Mm. Romy. And Natalie, how about you? What's your kind of background and uh, where are you up to now with your private practice? Yeah, sure. So I am a clinical psychologist. I'm a founder of the Bodak practice. So we help people to deal with the past, to live in the present and to build the life they want through mind, body and community. So what that really means is using psychological therapies alongside um, approaches like mindfulness, yoga, somatic work, uh, nutritional therapy. Um, And really this understanding that mental health is about more than mind alone. And so we're based in London. um, So it's very important to us that we're based in our local communities. That was a a big part of um, our ethos, um, obviously challenging during the the pandemic um, and also online. So we see people much further afield as well. Right. Yeah, perfect. And can you remind me where you, what you were up to when you and I first met? Because I think it was again around the 2018-2019 mark. Mm. Um, but I think you were already moving into the Bodak practice, but, but the seed was just budding if you like (laughs) yes yeah I'm I'm sure we'll talk more about it actually so yeah I've been doing private practice for quite a long time I think because my first job out of training was in a private um organized at the Priory so I think I had exposure to it at that time much sooner than psychologists normally would um and so I'd already started doing a bit of private work and it's sort of been you know trickling alongside some of my NHS jobs um I've never really settled in one that I loved um as I was learning more about what I felt a good service or practice would be Um, and also I was working in um, more corporate spaces so I was working in places like Google, Morgan Stanley, working in their health centers, um, facilitating (laughs) webinars um, which I also loved actually but also I had lots of ideas about um, how we could do a bit more than just being sort of squirreled away in these sort of little clinic spaces so I think part of my journey I think when we met Wendy was um taking the leap which was about what you know when am I gonna when am I gonna take this leap of just doing it fully you know and and that was part of where I was at in my own life journey as well with having a young family and that sort of thing so it's sort of figuring all of that out but there's never a perfect time and and the time came just before the pandemic as it turned out but um yeah so that's sort of where I was at then 
Yeah, you've reminded me that um, that's such a good point as well about how often we imagine, oh, starting our private practices and that they're immediately full-time. And of course, for the vast majority of practitioners, it doesn't work like that, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So Tina, I think you may have literally traveled the greatest distance in your (laughs) private practice development. So a little bit of intro from you, please, and and also where (laughs) where you are now and where you started. Thanks. Yeah. So hello from sunny Dubai. Exactly. <laughs> I'm currently in Dubai. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm a clinical psychologist as well. Um, UK trained and I'm currently undergoing the licensing process um, to become a clinical psychologist here as well. So that takes a bit of time. My history, I feel like it's, it's squiggly. The only word I could describe is squiggly. Um, Good word. Yeah, very squiggly. Uh, gosh, so where do I start? So my passion was obviously to work in private practice. And when I met Wendy, I was doing that already, but I just couldn't figure out what my niche would be. Like, who is it that I really wanted to serve? And I had lots of conversations with you, Wendy, about, you know, who is it that I really want to work with? And it felt like it had just organically grown from an interest where my specialism lay working with minority communities and in particular, the South Asian community in the UK. And I just began posting, you know, on Instagram and that suddenly just grew. Um, And then that turned into a full-time practice serving, you know, South Asians living in the UK and beyond actually, um, struggling with culture, you know, the intersection with mental health, gender expectations, you name it, I was seeing it all. Um, And then it grew even more into something else where, Um, I had lots of other South Asian therapists kind of reaching out to me saying, Tina, how are you doing this? And how can you find this information? And can you teach me about this? Can you provide some information on this? And can I pick your brain around this? And I was like, hang on, there's something here as well that I I really want to support South Asian therapists, Um, which then turned into the Brown Therapist Network, which is still going today, um, which I'm hugely proud of because it has kind of just grown leaps and bounds. It is a community first at the heart of it all where it's run by South Asian therapists for South Asian therapists. And the additional bit is it's global. And I love the fact that we are truly global. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, In fact, I just noticed um, today or this morning on Instagram, I was like checking out all your feeds and um, just noticed as well a a post that you, where you were... um, showing some of the new therapists that have joined Brown Therapist Network. And I remember that it, it's really like gone right around the world now. So that's just amazing. Um, I'm going to ask you as well, why in particular has, I mean, this is a question for all of you. So whoever wants to kind of jump in here, but why was this particular private practice journey important to you? You know, this journey to doing something different um, than what had gone before. I can say something on that if you like. Um, yeah, I'd love to. I think, I think for me it was, um, so I was working, I, I was doing private practice, but I wasn't working with people with pain in private practice, but the bits that I was doing, it it was just not great. Like we were just the opportunities to work with people a bit like what Natalie was saying, see what you can do. But then what was being done, there was a big 
mismatch between the two. Um, and then just um, in the same really in the NHS as well, kind of ethically and um, really in practice, what need, people needed was not what we could offer because of the way the services were set up and funding and shortages of staff and things like that. So it felt I never had any um, any desire at all to set up my own company and my own practice to do this. If somebody else had been doing what we wanted to do, I would have happily just kind of jumped on the coattails of somebody else and just gone and done that. <laughs> um, but it just, it wasn't happening. And we knew what, um, you know, what could be the, the kinds of gains and, and, and recovery that people could make with the right treatment. Um, but we weren't offering it to them in the right way. So we weren't working in a joined up way or in an evidence-based way. So just kind of saying, well, we can just do this, but we need to do it. You know, we need to set it up from the beginning the way that it needs to be done rather than yeah. trying to sort of change a system that we can't change. Right. Um, yes. And if I remember rightly as well, um, you also had some colleagues who are not psychologists who kind of I don't know that I would say I don't know that they immediately shared the exact same vision but they had a sense of the same problem and mm. were kind of concerned about it so <laughs> how did you yeah. all come together yeah yeah so um yeah it was a, a physiotherapist who uh who Andy here are now um co-direct retraining pain with so yeah we had the same kind of shared frustration around around what um, we could be doing um, but obviously completely different professional backgrounds and experiences of working you know kind of independently private practice what direction do we take a, a kind of new setup in so yeah lots of I think a lot of our early conversations were around that weren't they sort of trying to go we're not actually setting up a psychology practice or setting up a, right. a practice that's psychologically informed and run partly by a psychologist but is also um kind of got a whole other kind of professional background and model of thinking um so yeah, yeah. um that that kind of took a, a bit of sort of I think I was sort of took it took a long time I think to kind of have those conversations and figure out what the right way to do that was um yeah and I remember um a lot of conversations around it's almost like the leadership conversations that you had to have in order to, in order for everyone who was going to lead that practice to be, um, you know, proverbially on the same page or at least mm -hmm. a similar page about which direction it was going to go. Yeah, yeah. And, and there was a big investment in those upfront conversations. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I had left the NHS prior to the pandemic and Andy, poor Andy, who was a physio, got immediately drafted into kind of frontline work in the pandemic. Right. So his opportunity to kind of leap um, was a bit different to mine. Um, so he sort of fully joined in about a year later. Uh, right. whilst trying to work around the edges of um, working the COVID wards and things um, through the pandemic. So it was it was a really weird and non-ideal start, but it kind of took us in a direction that ultimately has been good um, right. without us realising that that would happen. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tina, can I draw you in here? Because also I think what I... What I took also from your introduction and what I remember from some of our early yeah. conversations as well was around 
um, the extent to which the direction you wanted to go in um, was also to do with frustrations about the system um, mm. and trying to, you know, flex around it, but also just, you know, quit fighting with it and, and do things a different way in a, a way that worked for you. So can you kind of share with us some of those experiences that you had around, you know, why this journey was so important to you? Yeah, I mean, I, I resonate massively with a lot of the things that Romy has said. And I think that with my journey, it was around not seeing spaces or services that were, you know, kind of calling out to underrepresented communities, you know, minority communities. And I think there was a big struggle around a lot of the you know, how do we get access? I kept, you know, all the conversations I was having having with lots of people who knew that I was a psychologist would always ask me the same questions. How do I, what do I need to do? Oh, we're not sure if it's for us, you know, and this is traditional mental health services that they struggled to engage with. And, you know, since the whole pandemic, since the whole Black Lives Matter conversation, all of this has been pretty much you know, forefront in my mind. And I think that, again, it comes from a place of frustration that actually there just isn't, there, there aren't spaces, you know, designed for people that look like me might have the concerns that I have um, that explore the issues that I might struggle with. Yeah. So I felt like that that's where the need has to be. But the the idea of the Brown Therapist Network was it's a collective space. And that's the piece that I really wanted to hold on to is that we are lots of different voices coming together to, to almost look at the services that are currently existing and almost kind of figure out a way that works for us. Like what can we offer that figure that works for communities that might be underrepresented? Yeah. And, you know, the way that I've seen the Brown Therapist Network grow and develop as well, and with that collective, um, like shared leadership, shared global leadership, um, I can I can really imagine a sense in you know how that getting people together on a shared mission like that um, can also start to influence, um, hopefully, systems in other places. So that, you know, collectively the voice is stronger to argue for some of these changes to the actual system. And, you know, hopefully decision makers start to sit up and realize that practitioners are actually doing this a different way. And maybe there are some things to learn from the practitioners as well. Yeah. Um, Natalie, so why was this particular journey? Thank you, Tina, by the way. Um, Natalie, um, why was this journey particularly important to you? Yeah, I mean, I can really, again, resonate with both what Tina was saying and Romy, actually, in that sense of, I guess, services as they're set up can often be, because of lots of reasons, restricted and and I always felt sort of stigmatising. And that's what I was saying earlier about sort of being squirrelled away, like as a, as a psychologist, you know, having to do that, just that one-to-one -one work in like the end of the corridor, you know, um, or kind of in, in very old mental health institutions, um, you know, because Tina was talking about community. And I was thinking, you know, actually, if we're going to break down the stigma around mental health, we need to just make it a much more normal, everyday thing that everybody is working 
working on at any point of their wellness. So, yeah, so for me, it was about principles around client choice, so giving people more choice over the therapies they wanted, the length of the therapies that they wanted, you know, in collaboration with us as psychologists, obviously, having a very just down-to-earth, human-to-human practice um and actually some people comment that on our website um some of us in our team faces are in our socks and it's quite funny how like little things like that I think, I've not noticed is. that but I'm gonna have a look now <laughs> <laughs> well I hadn't really thought about it either but you know we are in we are based in yoga studios because I really wanted us to be in spaces that felt soothing welcoming where there was community around um this sense of mental health being a lifelong journey so I think because of a sort of medicalized model there's this idea of problem fix and in some cases I understand why that's there and, it, and it's still relevant in some cases but for lots of people well my special interest area is um, attachment trauma or working with childhood trauma in adults and I feel like it's much healthier or more helpful to think that you might come in and out of therapy at different points and um, that it can be something that you don't have to just, it's not like a one shot thing, you know? Um, And really this idea of just working with the whole person that we just can't, I just don't feel like we can always do everything sat in a room talking, that we need to bring the body in, you know, how are we nourishing the body? What are we feeding it? How are we moving? How are we relating to other people? Um, And really, you know, being part of our local communities, so in the spaces that we see people, but also contributing to local charities. Um, We're going to be doing some workshops at festivals. Just this idea that mental health can just be a journey that we take at any point in time and just giving people lots more choice and a much more relaxed and welcoming environment in which to do that in. So, you know, that was a really big driver for me. Um, And then the second thing I think was more personal in terms of having a practice practice that um now I say this now it's not always come to fruition but sort of fits around my life a bit more so is more flexible I'm not a very nine to five type of person so I wanted something that was more flexible that could fit around family that doesn't always happen I'm just gonna put that out there um <laughs> that's just the ideal <laughs> that's um, and also it's just a bit more sociable so this I always felt um, I always sort of saw friends that were in careers where you know the team was much more sociable and they'd like do nice things together and I thought why can't we do that as psychologists actually maybe it's a product of me being quite an extrovert myself but I thought well but I think yeah. it's also inspired by your crossfitting <laughs> when oh, yeah. I think about you know this probably people in there and all together and we do these different things and but it all kind of fits together um yeah exactly reminds me of that spirit of uh kind of coming together in some of those shared spaces and and so on what I really love about what you've all said in this is because you know we talk about mental health stigma and you think well is that stigma to me that we talk a lot about the stigma of mental health and how that can be held by people experiencing mental health challenges? And I think what we talk about less publicly, but that all of you have alluded to, is that as practitioners, we fear being stigmatized for having different ideas about how therapy or how mental health service provision should be offered. And I just I, I can't remember who it was said, you know, I think it might have been you, Natalie, where, where you said, oh, you know, we're at the end of the corridor just doing our little secret thing. And I can, 
I kind of relate to that. You know, we do this sometimes when we're testing some of the ways in which we might want to offer services. We, there can be that sense that we're, um, oh, we're just going to test this a little bit under the radar. You know, we're just going to, um, we're not going to go really visible and public with it because, you know, maybe someone's going to come down on us with a with a ton of bricks or something if we step outside the lines. And that's... Um, that's something that I really want to, that, that I just want to really grind down and bust through over time, because I really feel like as practitioners, we put so much effort into learning our craft, into learning our profession. And we have so many brilliant ideas about how to flex and change and meet the need of different people. And there's a massive need out there. But it takes a lot of courage to start doing that. So when it came to courageously forging your own path, what kind of comes up for you around that? Where was it, where was it most scary? What helped? Um, yeah, and what have you kind of learned about, you know, growing your own courage as practitioners uh, in private practice? Um, Tina, I'm going to come to you. Mm. Yeah, going against the grain was probably the biggest thing that I definitely felt um, because it was a bit like, who was I to target a specific community? Who was I to speak up for my community? You know, that there was a lot of that that came up for me um, about you know, what, what I should, who I should be serving and who I should be talking to. Um, and that was, that was really difficult because as I, as I trained, we were trained to serve all, you know, as, right. as much as we can. Um, but I felt like in some ways I wasn't really speaking to anyone in particular and I didn't feel like I was, I don't know, there was just something that just didn't feel right for me because I always felt like there was a missing piece. Um, and I had to remind myself, cause this was again, a lot of work on my heart, my part when I was doing this work, I guess was why did I come into this profession? And I had to go back to 15 year old Tina and ask her, why are you, why are you so interested in psychology and mental health? And I still remember that moment when I just wanted to know what the words were in my in my culture and language of what this is. And still yeah. to this day we don't have the words, we don't have the language, but what we what I what I'm passionate about doing is creating a space to have these conversations around you know the 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 ideas of decolonizing, you know, the concept of being critical the idea of forging your own identity a bit like what we're doing now, but as, as individuals from minority communities, for example. Um, And yeah, and just bringing those conversations to the conscious, because I feel like that all of those complex nuance stuff was never at the forefront of people's minds. And all we were left with were labels and we couldn't, connect with those labels because we didn't know what they meant and how they related to us mm. so they were they were a lot of battles and I'm still going through these battles now there's no you know I'm not saying that this is something that I've fixed or or sorted mm. this is something that at Brown Therapist Network 
we have got in our forefront of the mind of being very critical of the approaches we use, trying to decolonize. And again, that's really hard when you've been trained to to kind of, you know, work and see the world in a particular way. Um, and yeah, just bring people's perspectives together and do it, do it together and forge together and create together. And I think that's, you realize that you can't do it alone. You have to have your people with you. You have to bring these voices along with you so that you can then be louder in your messaging. And so that speaks to me a little bit about the collective power of courage as well. So that, that sense that courage calls to courage. Um, and, uh, you know, what, what was really, what really helped you to be the one to, to pop your head up? What do you think was the impetus with that? I think it was, I don't know, it's really weird. I'm going to sound really weird when I say this, but there was just something inside of me and maybe there was something about my, my, history you know my I, I I almost think of like my grandparents and my great grandparents and thinking about what would what would they want me to do what would they with my privilege that I have right now what would they want yeah and yeah. and it's almost kind of, kind of like thinking about that you know that piece around I'm here because they were where they were they suffered whatever all of that stuff and actually, how do I now help future generations? And I've got kids and it's kind of like, I want to pass that baton on. I want to encourage mm. and inspire these conversations to continue, you know. So it's there's just something about that lineage piece and yeah. the potential future piece as well. Yeah, yeah, which I love as well because it, for me that means that collective courage is not just you know, the people who are currently alive on this planet and kind of in connection with us, but maybe also that intergenerational courage as well that mm. is, um, you know, being passed down. Awesome. Um, Natalie, coming to you, you know, calling to courage. Mm -hmm. And I know we're kind of, um, you know, I, I love <laughs> I love that reference to crossfitting because to me, <laughs> getting in the CrossFit gym must be a courageous thing. So, you know, <laughs> harnessing your strength. But um, for you, you know, you know, coming back to this thing of taking your courage in your hands and mm. doing things differently, what was that experience like for you with your private practice? Yeah, I mean, I think if I go back to when I started the practice as it stands now, the biggest piece of courage for me was believing that it could work. You know, at a very simple, I say simple, but so important, like fundamental level of if I put all of my eggs in this basket, if I just go fully in yeah. on this, is it going to work? Am I going to enjoy it? Um, is it going to pay me enough to, 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 to live? And, you know, there's, because I think anybody in any industry that does sort of freelance or contracting work, you sort of have to take that anxiety that comes with it. Oh, and, you know, um, even when there's sort of the ups and downs, you know, I can feel that, you know, that still kind of bubbles up really, but so I think that for me was where it started. But then beyond that, I think there's something um, a bit tricky about this idea of 
there's sort of narratives in psychology and I think um Tina you were well yeah you were touching on it Tina about how we're trained and I think we're trained in a way that there's a lot of shoulds and should nots and how we should practice and what we should be doing and what is the honourable or right thing to do um and I think so we get caught up in a lot of that but then when I was looking at a lot of the business you know building a business narrative they didn't really fit either because there's a lot of this idea of um your ideal client avatar and your niche and um and for a long time and Wendy you and I spoke about this yeah (laughs) my my personal bete noir the um, (laughs) the client avatar (laughs) yeah so I was just really I was just really in the weeds with all of that and I was like well I don't neither of these things really fit for me and I and on reflection I thought well I've sort of come out of training and across the course of all my jobs that I'd had I thought well the thing that always brought me a lot of joy and pleasure was actually the teams that I worked in it didn't actually really matter who the client group were um it was more about well a job is really enjoyable when you have a really good approach and, and team and you feel supported so I was sort of trying to navigate through all of that really so Um, I think just being able to take the courage to say, actually, my sort of niche, if you like, is is this holistic or what I want is a very holistic practice. The principles I spoke about earlier, maybe that's good enough. Maybe that is enough, actually. And forging ahead with that. And I mean, beyond that, I think there's been um, there's ongoing courage, if you like, around navigating the roller coaster. And I, you know, I really want to. I think I just really want to be open about how hard it is to run a private practice as well, because I think sometimes there's an idea that it it's easy and the work is plentiful. And to some degree, that's true, but it's there's so many ups and downs and there's a lot of courage in being a leader and in running a business. It's like I've ha- I literally had to learn a whole new career, basically. And there's definitely been times I've been like, oh, I just need, I should just get a job, you know. I just and need I want a job. To- <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I think it's it's all of that, you know, and um you know, making those initial decisions, taking the leap, but then the, the, the courage it takes on an ongoing basis to grow and continue and um, and develop in, in that sort of way, really. Yeah, the um, what you're describing to me reminds me of that little um, storyline I have, which is we imagine growing a successful practice as climbing the mountain and when we get to the top of the mountain you know first of all we will have received the wisdom and also we will have this perfect vista and we'll be able to see everything and everything will be clear and you know that that's where we'll be where the reality is it's like being in the lord of the rings um you know <laughs> and one minute you're skipping through the shire <laughs> yeah and you've got all your hobbit friends around you and the next minute you're fighting through the forest of fangorn again and you're like where's all my friends gone <laughs> um you know so there's so much in that that we go through these periods of um it sometimes it feels great and other mm-hmm. times it you know we really have to um, put our brave pants on again, as we say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Romy, on the topic of brave pants. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mine are around here somewhere. Um, I, the first thing that sprang to mind when you asked the question, and Natalie and Tina have kind of touched on it as well, is I think we get trained, well, I got trained to be an NHS psychologist. Right. And, you know, we didn't talk yeah. about private practice definitely when I trained. Maybe they do more now. And and it wasn't that 
like people did little bits of private practice maybe, but not very many people went, you know, full on, I'm going to do this all the time. And that has, of course, become more common. But I think that takes a lot of courage as well, because it feels like, oh, I shouldn't be doing like you've kind of been sort of shaped into this person. Like this is our, we're in this big dysfunctional family that's the NHS and this is what we do. And you can't really change it, but you just kind of put your head down and get on with it. And then obviously over the years things kind of change you go oh, I just can't I can't keep doing this I can't mm-hmm. and you know we were at a conference recently and we were chatting to a, a, a team and and we were sort of saying oh our, our team our NHS team actually got decommissioned which ultimately was what happened mm-hmm. I'd already left by then but it's like you've, you've, I kind of feel like I have to sort of go oh well I'm only doing this because I couldn't do that anymore sort of thing which kind yeah. of isn't isn't true mm-hmm. um so I yeah. think just to to kind of break out of that mold and and being a psychologist that works in physical health I think takes you know there's a lot of I think we constantly have to have difficult conversations around where psychology lands within that landscape of physical health where things are very Mm. biomedical and you know we still very much have this view in western culture anyway about kind of the biomedical model for physical health problems and you kind of have to sort of elbow your way in with the doctors sometimes and say hey I think maybe we need to look at this from a wider perspective and they're a bit like you know like one of the pain doctors I work with used to joke like are you just going to play some whale music Romy and stuff and it's like yeah funny but but, but also really invalidating and I know well exactly I think you have to kind of constantly just kind of try and be brave and be like no I do have actually some important things to say here and you know also just the be developing a a practice and, and having to do things like post stuff on social media and write blog posts and like literally put your head above the parapet and say I think this and you know not to mention things like god twitter and things like you know someone's going to chuck stuff at you and somebody's definitely going to disagree with you the ops are everywhere (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah and just having to constantly like it's that sort of um comfort stretch panic thing isn't it and being like oh I'm totally drifting into panic and you know stretch is good (laughs) um yeah sort of constantly coming back to that yeah exactly and I think one of the things that I've reflected on over the you know the years that I've been working with psychologists in private practice is um how much we need to use some of our own stuff on ourselves (laughs) (laughs) You know, how do we design um, our private practice so that we're also strengthening ourselves? Because it, I always say private practice is one of the most emotional, emotionally demanding things that you can do. It is it's kind of confronting to go out there and to, as you said, you know, Romy, say, I have opinions on this. And, you know, keep stretching that and keep challenging um, perceptions, not only of um, you know, the, the topic you're talking about, but our own perceptions of who we are as people, mm-hmm. as leaders in businesses and so on. And Natalie, just picking up on your point that there's not yet, maybe I need to write one, but there's not yet a manual for how we build these kind of, you know, very different types of private practices. Um, and in fact, I th- one of the things that really strikes me and the reason behind this podcast is that 
you know, it's not just me saying this is the way that I think these private practices should be built. I think there are so many practitioners, you know, you guys are examples of them, um, where you are forging your molds in a unique way. Like it's, it's like a fingerprint. It's kind of individual. Um, so when we think about where you are now and, and the future of private practice, what hopes do you hold for your practice, for yourself as a psychologist in this kind of uncertain but very flexible, you know, fast-moving world, and also maybe for the future uh, of private practice and for practitioners out there? Yeah, any thoughts about how you'd like to see those things developing in kind of hopes for the future? Natalie, how about you? Yeah, I mean, I guess just kind of going back to what I said earlier, really, which was about it just being a little bit more transparent in some way that um, it's not a secretive, you know, thing that you shouldn't do. And then you have to kind of go on this massive learning curve, you know, almost that. And again, I don't know uh, what's happening in, in the courses these days and, you know, whether there's been a shift and a change there, but, you know, I almost feel like it'd be good for people to have a bit more choice really. And, but that choice I think can only come from, more training experience knowledge of different ways of working with different settings to work in including private practice so that it's not such a struggle to try and figure all of that out and and that so people can really make more of an informed decision about it you know so that they really know what those different options are so I mean I, I think that probably would be more of my you know my hope and um and yeah, just that sort of sense that people can feel a bit more confident and, and equipped. So there can be a real sense of de-skilling sometimes of, um, you know, because actually training as a psychologist, you have like an incredible skill set. You know, we've been training for however many years. Um, and I think sometimes we don't give ourselves the credit of having all of that incredible knowledge, so much experience. We've been working in all these different settings and almost really feeling like we can have that confidence to trust our instincts or trust what we want and, and really perhaps go go for that and I feel like that's a practice that I have to practice a lot you know in that holding hope that the practice will work and that I can make decisions and choices along that way but also that I can bring the people in that I need to support me in those choppy waters I don't have to be on my own with it actually that right you know it's you know it's, it's a journey that I can invite people into and will change and fluctuate but you know just um knowing that uh, you know you can make those choices as you go along and hold the hope that that's going to work out um in whatever way it does I mean there's a lot of uncertainty in it but um yes yeah. a few of my thoughts yeah. on that yeah. So Tina, I know that your move to Dubai was fairly recent. And so I'm just, I'm curious about now how, um, given your kind of world and your context has shifted quite a lot, how has that influenced the hopes you have for the future about private practice, about Brown Therapist Network and about, yeah, where you're at? Yeah. And it's, 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 it's interesting because, um, it's almost like I've got a chance to stop and think and assess what's happening out here in Dubai. And Dubai is an incredible place because there's lots of opportunity here. Um, and what I've learned over the past uh, 
next two weeks, well, 12 weeks I've been is that you either do and you follow and you work under somebody else's private practice or you go out and create, you know, um, your <laughs> own private practice, which, you know, where I'm leading to. So, yeah. <laughs> so for me, this is really exciting because the Dubai is actually, there's lots of gaps within the um, sector of psychology. They're just, it's, it's, there's, there's so many things that I think that psychologists could provide and add value to. So for me, being the person that I am, I'm not a lone wolf. I am very much about who's, who do I kind of see affinity with? Where am I seeing the gaps? Where could I put my skills to use? And just being really creative. And I love that. That's the piece that I really enjoy and being able to think outside the box. So where I am right now is doing a lot of that, doing a lot of thinking, being creative with other professionals, not just psychologists, um, and seeing what we can co-create um, yeah. for this specific community out here in Dubai, but also and beyond as well um, across the Middle East, because the Middle East, again, is very ripe for you know, this this new way of thinking. Psychology is a very new discipline here. Mm. It's not as established as it is in the UK. Um, and yeah, I want to do more than just therapy. I want to kind of be be in a really exciting space where I can inspire and continue to, you know, support others in their journey. And that's what I'm hoping Brand Therapist Network will continue to do. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to look forward to seeing... Um, the any kind of meetups that you manage to uh, that you get organized in um in that area as well because i can imagine there's going to be some um some awesome videos and photos and all the rest <laughs> of it it would be fantastic um romy for you i know that um your your business is going very um you know it's it, it it's growing like um, a rocket at the moment. <laughs> I was trying to think of a suitable analogy then, and I couldn't. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah, so for you, what are your hopes for the future? Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think um, keeping up. I think is is my kind of first hope. Um, I think it's about we've all touched on it really, and it's it just kind of comes back, doesn't it, to the fundamentals of um, community and connection and attachment and relationships and yeah. all those kind of fundamentals that we have as psychologists with the people that we work with, but also for us in terms of having that that community of people who, you know, we're so excited that we just kind of started this off as you know not anticipating this to be the case, but that actually being able to work with. Um, with people all over the country who are, are kind of pain geeks like us like you know <laughs> there's this idea that is like oh I love working with people with pain great but you know people have kind of got a bit stuck and thinking I can only do that in a certain setup mm. or I just wouldn't know how to work in it I could do a bit of it in private practice but I don't know how to work in a team and do that and I think that's yeah. what we feel really passionate about is having that community of people it's like we can use our skills in a different way mm. and we can kind of support one another and, and kind of find that courage together of how to how to do that mm. um so yeah that's I think that's the thing that I feel most excited about um about developing 
Awesome. So I think one of the things that I really take from this conversation is um, how when you start to kind of forge your own direction and you do this kind of breaking free, it's it's definitely in service of, you know, people who would be users of psychological services, and that could be any of us. But it's also, I think, a real almost like active leadership, it becomes an, a leadership role within a community of professionals as well. Because I think mm. what I really hear from all of you is that, that what you've done has had a knock-on effect on other practitioners around you. You know, Tina, Brown Therapist Network is like archetypal example of that. Um, Romy, you're describing there how that multidisciplinary um, approach and that different mindset about pain is kind of calling to the courage of other practitioners around the country and getting them to think differently about what that practice could look like. And Natalie, I really see that um, that's, you know, your community approach, that connection with place is really kind of shifting and, and creating a form of community leadership around mental health as well mm-hmm. um and you know drawing other practitioners in perhaps from communities too so yeah I think it's something I've really something I've really learned about this <laughs> from this conversation um so where can we find you all um Tina um where I, I know Brown Therapist Network is still on Instagram. Where what are the other places that we can find you? I seem to be hanging out on LinkedIn a lot. That seems yes. to be the now my favorite place to hang out. So you can find me at Dr. Tina Mystery on LinkedIn. Awesome. Thank you. Natalie, how about you? What's your favorite places to hang out online? <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, so there's the bodartpractice.co.uk, which is um our website. So yeah, um, and also yeah, Dr. Natalie Bodart on Instagram. So I probably post most on there at the moment um and linkedin dr natalie bodart on there as well and um, we're on facebook bodart practice um too so a few places i've not ventured okay. into twitter i think that's a step too far for me <laughs> <laughs> awesome and how about you romy yeah i am on linkedin and twitter at dr romy sherlock and we also have linkedin uh, retraining pain uh, page and you can find our website at retrainingpain.co.uk so you're a Twitter warrior. I don't think I'd recognise that. I'm going to have to go and find you on Twitter now. No, no I'm really not, Wendy. That's why I don't hang out there very much. <laughs> but do you follow a lot of people on Twitter? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I always say Twitter's the Star Wars bar of the internet. So you can have some amazing conversations with a lot of trolls as well. <laughs> so good on you for being there too. Um Awesome. Thanks so much for this conversation today. I was really excited to speak to you all. And um, I just love the the kind of lessons that you've shared with us. Um, So we will definitely put all of your links into our show notes. And um, on behalf of Inspiring Psychology Practices and the Inspiring Psychologist podcast, thanks so much. And uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing what happens in the comments. So see you next time, everyone. Thanks for listening. Thanks so much, Wendy. Thanks, Thanks Wendy. I'd love to hear what you think about the Inspiring Psychologist podcast. So please take a moment to leave a review and give us a rating wherever you listen to podcasts. It makes a massive difference in helping us to reach new audiences. If, like me, you're feeling inspired and moved by the private practice stories in our podcasts, 
please spread the word across your own networks. And why not encourage your colleagues and friends to listen to the podcast too? To make sure you don't miss out on future episodes, please be sure to subscribe to the Inspiring Psychologist podcast. You can find out more about all my guests from Series 1 at our website, inspiringpsych.com. That's inspiring, P-S-Y-C-H dot com.